Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jenna Waters. She is a cybersecurity consultant at True Digital Security. We're going to talk to her about some of the challenges that cannabis companies face when it comes to security and specifically digital security. I think as people know or be kind of reading news and things like that, there's all sorts of kind of new wave of digital security over the last really probably the last decade. But I think over the last four or five years, you've seen all sorts of interesting news stories come up of municipalities being shut down, corporations being locked out of their servers and uh, all sorts of kind of things that can happen now that so much of our businesses are online, our business transactions happen online. And in cannabis, obviously, that becomes doubly or triply even important because of the regulatory requirements, both from the cannabis industry as well as from the medical 
industry. And we're going to talk to Jenna a little bit about some of the factors that go into it, some of the things that cannabis companies need to kind of consider. And as they kind of figure out their posture, their security posture in some of these areas, what they can do to um, both avoid some of the issues as well as deal with some of the issues if and when they occur. So it should be an interesting episode. This is something we've, we've, we've touched on very lightly a couple of times on the uh, podcast, but I think the first time we're going to do a deep dive on the digital side of security and cannabis. So with that, Jenna, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So before we kind of dig into, you know, cannabis and digital security and all the things that, that are going on in the world right now, give us a little sense of your background. How did you get into security? How did you get into cannabis? Give us a little bit of the backstory. So I just kind of fell into security, <laughs> which, isn't, which isn't how most people get into it. But um, so my background started, I was one of those kids, you know, graduated from high school. I was like, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Uh, yeah. You know, basically all of us. Um, <laughs> so I joined the military and they just kind of tossed me in <laughs> yep. the way they do, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, so it was like threat intelligence and cybersecurity by the, you know, waterfall method of just fire hosted <laughs> at me and they're, yeah, they're exactly. now, and then I went, yeah. So, and then I went to uh, the university of Tulsa where I graduated with a, um, a degree in Uh, computer information systems. I minored in cybersecurity. I did all my internships in cybersecurity. And then I found my way to true digital security, the company I work for, and I'm a consultant there. I currently work in a lot of spaces. I think many of our consultants operate in multiple different facets of cybersecurity, but I operate primarily in compliance, you know, risk management, and then threat intelligence, that kind of thing. Yeah, interesting. And so before we kind of get on what's going on in cannabis, let's kind of ground folks. My guess is, while many of the folks listening to the podcast have kind of have, have some idea of what cybersecurity is, or at least have some vision from some Netflix series on you know, what happens <laughs> in cybersecurity. But, you know, in very kind of practical terms, when we talk about cybersecurity, really kind of what, what is the scope of this? What are we generally kind of thinking about or concerned about from a, a cybersecurity point of view? Uh, so, I mean, do you want me to talk about what cybersecurity is or like? Yeah, yeah, yeah give, us, okay. give us kind of the overview. Just All right. Just us a little bit. Yeah, thanks. So cybersecurity, if I were to sum it up, is basically the art of whack-a-mole. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, you know, you have the good guys. So that's your cybersecurity engineers, your analysts, you know, you're from government and agencies to private sector, all working against a bunch of threats. So hackers, Mm -hmm. nation states, uh, you know, what we like to call script kitties or AKA 15 year olds who buy something (laughs) online and mess with someone else's computer. Script script kitties. Yeah. That is, that's what we call them. Script kitties. You you have now, you've expanded my knowledge base. Yeah. So, and we do, it's a whole range from just people who want to see what they can do to have a laugh all the way to nation state hackers who are actually looking to, you know, subvert one country's, you know, industrial complex, like complexes and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's a huge, it's very broad. It's yeah. kind of like banking. When you say I work in cybersecurity, there's no one way to say you work in banking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
cybersecurity yeah. is the same. And I think all because all businesses um, are susceptible to some kind of cyber attack, whether that's just a phishing attack, which is usually through email when you click on a link and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like, why do I have malware? All mm-hmm. the way to, you know, a full data breach where like, Equ- like Equifax, where what was it? Millions of people's private yeah. data has been sold online. So... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting. I think I, I remember having a conversation. It was quite some years ago with sort of a cybersecurity, digital security expert, and it's like, well, what can, what can you do to really protect yourself? And he said, well, just don't plug your computer into the internet, right? Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's kind of this this you know issue of like, well, you know, it is both. We need it. Like we need to be connected to the internet, connect our business. But that the fact that we're connected to the internet also opens us up to this risk. So you know, I, for me, it's always been this sort of trade off. It's like how easy do you want to make communication, and how easy mm-hmm. do you want to make it for people to be able to do their work versus how strongly do you lock things down, and how you know how many kind of procedures and, and protection do you put in place? So it's, exactly, it's, <laughs> yeah, and it's a, I think that's the, the that's the challenge for most business folks, right? It's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I could I could go to great lengths to protect myself in all sorts of ways, but that also may may make running my op, my business very difficult. How like when you're working or when you're kind of looking at a situation, how do you kind of assess that balance, or how does that trade off process kind of come to play when you're trying to figure out like what do we do in a situation? So when you're looking at cybersecurity as a business, it it has to sort of start at the top. Basically, the business has to decide whether or not it's worth for them to invest in it to begin with, which it is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, shameless plug, it is. Um, Because, well, for every $10 an organization invests in cybersecurity controls to protect their most sensitive data or their most, you know, sensitive assets, they're essentially you know they're saving 100 but it just doesn't feel that way you know you, yeah. you don't you don't always feel you know you feel the cost of a of like a security camera because it's expensive to outfit your entire organization with a bunch of security cameras you feel that cost yeah. but until you're you know you're robbed or you have somebody like break in you don't see the benefit so it's it's hard so it has to start at the top and that's really where i like to focus my efforts is to say listen I know it hurts to invest, but it's going to hurt a thousand times worse if your HIPAA data is breached. So that's people's health data or if credit cards are stolen, because now you're not just facing, you know, the you know cost of the loss of that data. You're also facing reputational decrease from your customers. And yeah. if it's regulated data, you could be facing like enormous fines and fees, you know, presented to you by the government. So yeah. it can be really costly. And and when you present it that way, it usually it usually sparks interest and yeah. you know a willingness well, like to a, at least find that balance of investment versus cost. Yeah, I was, it's it's uh, you know I liken it to insurance, right? No, no one is. likes to pay for insurance until they have a loss. <laughs> until they're in a <laughs> car wreck, and then <laughs> and then they want the insurance to pay for everything, right? So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's hard, uh, and it's one of those challenges I think in business and as business owners, you know, business leaders, you know, is really kind of quantifying what is this risk, uh, and you know, figuring out what what is the 
reasonable investment to offset that risk. And, you know, and, and sometimes you may say, all right, well, it's, it's either we're, we're willing to accept the risk or willing to take the chance. You know, it just needs to be calculated. Or you know, oftentimes I find there's various levels you, need, you can go through and various investment mm-hmm. levels you can make. Right? So it's a lot of times this question is like, how far do I go up the scale or how far do I, you know, how much do I invest? And really comes down to, well, what is really at stake here and what is a potential loss? And you know, are there other ways to mitigate it you know, literally through insurance and stuff like that? But Yep. It's finding where you can accept your risk, transfer your yeah. risk, or mitigate it is really, it's, it's just like with financial risk, except I, sometimes I feel like the consequences for cybersecurity risk are a little bit more extreme. <laughs> yeah. Well, and probably more abstract too. It's, it's yes. Like I can, I can look at my car and I can say, yeah, that's an asset I want to protect. I'm like, mm, okay, I don't, what is this data I have? What is my exposure? How do I quantify that can be difficult. Yes. So before we get into the cannabis world, when, for a biz, for just a general business, like what are the general areas that you're looking at? I mean, you mentioned you know email phishing. You mentioned sort of actually data breaches. But mm-hmm. like when you're kind of when a business is kind of thinking about what are my vulnerabilities or what are my areas of risk, is there kind of a, a model or a standard list of things that you? typically are looking at inside a business or a business should think think about? Absolutely. So what we so typically what we'll do is we'll base it off industry best practices. One thing we do use often is the NIST cybersecurity framework. So it basically goes through five broad categories mm-hmm. of things that a business can look at and assess. And what we recommend is doing what's called a risk assessment. Again, very similar to sort of like a financial risk assessment. But what this does is it actually looks at all your IT processes, your, you know, your personnel procedures. It looks at, it goes from doing HR background checks all the way to assessing what actual controls you currently have in place. And then it ranks those risks within those five broad categories and what ends up happening is you're given a score for each and that helps you narrow down where you need to focus your efforts, what's going to have the biggest bang for your buck essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So that way you're not just throwing money around and you know hoping you fix the right thing. It, it helps narrow your focus and then helps you come up with a game plan essentially. And you can do those every year. Most organizations typically end up doing them every year just because again, it serves risk assessments are really great for serving as a gauge for where are we at? Where do we want to go? And how did how much did we improve from last year? So that's usually what we use is like the NIST cybersecurity framework, or if it's really industry-based, like credit cards will do PCI, HIPAA will mm-hmm. do a HIPAA risk assessment, that kind of thing. So there are some sort of industry oh, yeah. standards that you can oh, apply. Absolutely. And, and there's yeah, tons. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, so some of this I always found is it's kind of the... Um, you know, fortify yourself to the point where your neighbor becomes a much better target. <laughs> so yes. Like, you know, if you, if you, if you, it does, you don't need to be completely locked out. You just need to be locked out enough where someone's like, oh, it's not worth dealing with you because there's someone else next door that I can go and, you know, I'll, yes. I'll deal with them. So a lot of this is, I, I always find is, keeping up with the Joneses or I don't know, in, in, a, in a security way. I don't know what the security <laughs> phrase would be, but um, it is contextual, I guess, right? Like it depends it on really what is the standard in the industry and, and how, how likely of a target are you relative. Yes. And what, yeah, exactly. And what industry are you in and how does that, how likely does that make you be a target? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, how much of this is the, the technology itself, you know, like the settings on my router and how I've, you know, sort of, 
programmed my APIs in terms of you know passing information and being able to sort of get through those technically. And how much of this is just people, policies, and procedures? You mentioned phishing. Well, you know, <laughs> I can't do much if someone is going to click on a, a suspicious email and download malware. You know, you're kind of letting letting them in the, through the front door on that one. Uh, how much do you look at sort of the technical side versus sort of the people, process, procedure side? I would say in terms of people, processes, and procedures, that's going to be about 65%. Yeah. And then the rest is going to be, the other 35% is going to be actual technical controls because the first will govern the controls that you put in place. So if you have properly trained personnel who know how to recognize a phishing attack, which would be policy-based and then a training program, then they're a lot less likely to let people in the front door. And so, and then having those procedures and policies in place that essentially act as your guide. And it helps the people who run the technology go, okay, well, this is, it helps them narrow their focus, essentially. So again, right. it goes, comes back to that top-down strategy of, you know, let's make sure all our ducks are in a row in the documentation, but let's also make sure our employees know that we, those are the ducks that they have to follow. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the line they have to follow, and, and it really helps. But, you know, and I throw out those percentages, and it can really depend on each organization because some organizations have way more technology than others. But if you can get your strategy in place and you can get your tactics in place and ready to go and training, that's going to go a long way to helping your organization, even if, say, you're a small business or you're a medium-sized business. Yeah. So let's talk about, I think we've got a pretty good understanding of cybersecurity and kind of facets, but let's talk about cannabis. What are some of the general things that come into play for cannabis companies. I mean, you mentioned HIPAA, you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, PCI, credit card transactions stuff. Like as you look at the cannabis space, what are some of the kind of contextual things that a cannabis company needs to be aware of given what they do and how they do it? So cannabis dispensaries and producers or processors, you know, they're kind of uniquely vulnerable in this space, primarily because of the commodity that they deal with, which to this day, for some unknown reason, remains contentious. <laughs> don't ask me why. I, yeah. I don't know. Well, we've got lots of episodes <laughs> talking about that. <laughs> I've, I've heard. And yes, all businesses are susceptible to cyber attacks, but marijuana retailers and processors and producers, they're at a unique risk solely because of the commodity that they are selling, as well as the data that they are holding. So... Mm-hmm. What they typically tend to face is not only that higher risk, um, they also have a very non-traditional you know, way that they have to run their finances and they have a, sort of a, they're new. So, and when I say new, I mean, many of them are what maybe f- the oldest is maybe 15 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're looking at a, an, an, a space that's an incredibly new, but also highly attractive target. So, you know, if an attack on us, on a dispensary could be anything from they let their customers use their Wi-Fi. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> don't no, no tell business owners out there. Please don't do that. Um, <laughs> to you know, a producer who runs all this IoT tech for lighting and watering and you know uh-huh. measuring soil minerals, and all of a sudden you have a bunch of little devices that are open. And Uh those devices are really smart, but in terms of technology, they're really dumb and they're really easy to break into. And they're really, and to go from there to actually 
hurting a business. So it's just, it's a very unique space. And so there are a lot of very unique threats and main threat factors that we're starting to see kind of crop up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no pun intended. No pun intended. Actually, all, all, pun in, all yes, puns are intended all pun on this intended. program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, I, you know, I get the, hey, if like, yeah, if I've, I've got my Wi-Fi open or I've got, you know, even just a website that has, you know, the ability to order product or, you know, that, that all those things are vulnerable. But the mm-hmm. actual infrastructure of, you know, cultivation facility, yeah, I mean, theoretically, if I want to take down my competition, I hack in and I tell all their sensors to, you know, stop, you know, just or or dump, uh, you know, ten times the amount of nutrients and turn the temperature up by twenty degrees, I could wipe out their crop. Uh, Absolutely. You know, th- these are, yeah, these are all like I think business owners just need to consider mm-hmm. essentially it. Probably anything that has a battery in it <laughs> with a suit or, or plugs <laughs> or, into the wall. Um, or know. connects to the internet or to each yeah, other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I think a lot of people don't think about those things. I mean, are they, they maybe a little more obvious, the kinds of cybersecurity risks, you know, on, on kind of that technology side, but they don't mm-hmm. think of the operations side. Yeah. So, so let's walk through. So HIPAA, obviously. Now, HIPAA, does which types of businesses would... Or, or when does HIPAA come into play from a, a cybersecurity point of view? So currently, and this is this is the good part. So I'm going to give you the good first, and then I'm going <laughs> to give go. you, <laughs> then I'm going to give you the shadowy future. Yeah. Um, so currently, most cannabis dispensaries <laughs> are not going to fall directly under HIPAA yet. That's the good part. Okay, and why is that? Because they're they're really not. Mm-hmm. Holding Why? medical information? Uh, so they are. That's the fun part. They are. They're just not recognized as such. And one of the key reasons is because it's not federally legal, and HIPAA mm-hmm. is a federal standard. Yeah. So it's a federal law. So it's so in, finally, it's, finally, one relief outcome of, <laughs> of not being federally legal is that actually HIPAA doesn't doesn't formally get applied because it, because it, it falls under federal mandates. Got it. Exactly. So. Although they aren't considered, you know, the, in HIPAA, they call them, quote, covered entities. Um, these are okay. anybody who holds what's defined as personal health data. Um, okay. Yet, when and if and just do it already, <laughs> the yeah. federal government legalizes cannabis for medical and recreational use, you know, then HIPAA can go forward and go, okay, you're covered entities. That's all they have to do. They're an agency. And so basically in one fell swoop, all of a sudden, every cannabis company that is dealing with patient data is now subject to HIPAA compliance law. Yep. And they can do it, you know, piecemeal and give, and what I expect they'll do is give most dispensaries probably a year to 18 months, maybe two years of like, you have this long to get spun up on what you have to do to protect HIPAA data. But after that, you will be susceptible to what's called an OCR audit. Office of Civil Rights, where they will just decide to come in one day and say, "Hey, let's let's audit you," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or if you, yeah, or if you suffer a breach of more than five hundred patient records, you will be either subject to fees or a HIPAA audit after that as well. So it is it is definitely something to keep in mind when you're taking that data. What I would recommend in that case is if you are a cannabis organization and say, who can I outsource this data to that's already HIPAA compliant? Mm, yeah. So that's one of these. Can I outsource the risk? Yes. Strategy. Well, especially if you're a dispensary and you're yeah. a small business, 
that would be what I would recommend. Just because it's not, it, it just doesn't make sense to invest in what you need to right. invest in to, to secure your own infrastructure. You you will have some responsibility, but it, it definitely offloads a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To be HIPAA compliant, I mean, what are we really talking about? Is this about encrypting data? Is it about mm-hmm. where the data is stored? I mean, where what what are kind of the broad strokes? To be HIPAA compliant, what does a company need to do? Uh, to be broadly HIPAA compliant, you, you hit two of the nails. Encrypt your data, so essentially protecting your data, you know, ensuring you have the appropriate technical controls in place. So it's going to be your firewalls, making sure your routers are secured properly, making sure you're doing due diligence on any service providers, which means doing looking for things like, you know, are those service providers HIPAA compliant or do they have a SOC 2 compliance? Making sure your personnel are trained on what HIPAA data is, how to protect HIPAA data, making sure that you know, essentially you're separating your HIPAA data from the rest of the data you're gathering. <laughs> and I think there is some anonymization that has to happen mm-hmm. um, with that data as well. And that only people who have to access that data, so a doctor or, you know, someone who is selling the product directly mm-hmm. has access to that data. So it, it's there's a lot. I mean, HIPAA covers both privacy and uh, security. There's two very specific statutes and they have a long list of must-dos for each of those. Which, yes, so I definitely recommend if, if you're worried about this or you're a bigger dispensary or even if you're a small business dispensary, look at, look at finding a HIPAA compliant source to help host that data, to help protect that data that will help kind of, yeah, offload some of that risk so that, you know, if something happens, you can at least breathe easy at night. Or easier yeah. at night. Yeah. yeah. And then you also mentioned PCI. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about that and what does that entail in terms of what you need to look for? Again, it's, it's similar to HIPAA. So it's going to be very dependent on the federal legalization. But so right now, credit card companies kind of are wishy washy <laughs> as to whether or not they'll let a cannabis company take credit cards. They seem to go back and forth. Um, yeah. Like you can take yeah. them. Just kidding. You can like that's what they seem to be <laughs> wanting to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I anticipate happening is as soon as it's either with PCI because PCI is not a United States like law. It is actually an international industry compliance standard set forth okay. by the credit card companies themselves. That's Mastercard, Visa, Discovered. One in Japan whose name is, I cannot remember for the life of me. (laughs) Um, But they come together every year and they're like, these are rules. This is what you have to follow. And there's a good 300 list of security control. Yes, security controls you have to follow. And um, I love doing those audits, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Sarcasm is also not okay on this program. Oh. But this, this program is full of sarcasm. <laughs> Excellent. I'll fit right in. Um, <laughs> but so what I will like, or when enough states, my guess is anywhere between 35 to 50. So yes, all states, 35 to 50 states legalize cannabis. Um, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, you can take credit cards officially. Once, uh, once they officially for sure mm-hmm. put out that cannabis organizations, whether you're a dispensary, a producer, or a processor, can take mm-hmm. credit cards, which includes your, you know, credit card branded debit cards. So a debit card with a Visa logo on it. Okay. 
Once you can do that, you are then required, no matter what size business you are, no matter what what you're doing, you're required to follow PCI, payment card industry standards. And it has a long list. And my recommendation for PCI is very much the same as it is for HIPAA. Find someone who does it better than you will and outsource it to them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at what point does that, that outsourcing strategy maybe begin to be questioned? I mean, is this about size of the company? Is this about how many records you have? Like, what, what are the factors that potentially shift this into, all right, maybe really you should, you should be hosting this yourself and you should be putting the appropriate systems and procedures in place? I would say if you're someone like a processor, mm-hmm. a processor's not going to have any HIPAA data. They aren't no. going to worry about it. But if you're a processor and you're going to have credit card data because you're you're essentially a business-to-business entity, yeah. um, then you're still going to need to be PCI compliant. But what you can do is say, okay, we only take like, I don't know, 20 credit card transactions a year. It's not mm-hmm. a lot, but it's still going to require some measure of compliance. And that's when I am going to say, okay, it will still behoove you to do something like, you know, what are they, a square where, yeah. or um, a stripe? Outs- like outsourcing for PCI is way cheaper than outsourcing for HIPAA. Okay. And for me, if I were a dispensary, I would always outsource for HIPAA if I could. Mm-hmm. If you cannot, if you find you cannot, then what you can do is essentially segregate off a section of your network completely and make that your HIPAA portion of your network. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all that's there. Stuff only goes in Mm -hmm. and only what you absolutely need to check that that patient is like actually a human being and (laughs) you're allowed to buy cannabis comes out. And that would be my recommendation for that is just to, if you're so small that you can't at the time afford to outsource anything is separate it. Keep it as mm-hmm. separate as humanly possible from the rest of your business operations. Yeah. And the reason being, that will just reduce the exposure and mm-hmm. the, the pathways into that data. Right. Yeah. And I would say training. And I would, especially employee training, because your employees are, they're your biggest weakness, but they're also your first line of defense. <laughs> mm, <laughs> so that is, yes. So that's, yeah. that, if, if you enable and empower your employees in cybersecurity, that goes a long way in protecting your business. It's sometimes, um, you know, we as cybersecurity professionals tend to prefer the technology. Um, yeah. We tend to see people as more of a, a, a problem to be solved. I like to see people as the solution to a lot of our issues. If people are properly trained, if they're properly educated on how to recognize a potential cyber threat or cyber attack or phishing attempt or social engineering, right mm-hmm. there is your first line of defense or your first mode of reporting that something is going wrong. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, I guess, what can businesses do? I and mean, what does this training look like? Is this, uh, you know, ma- mainly just hel- helping people? I mean, it sounds like email is a big one, but uh, other, what other areas of training do companies do to, you know, help make sure that your people are your first line of defense? So email is a big one. Email tends to be the one people go to the first just because it's yeah. so prevalent. Um, we yeah. can all blame the Nigerian print scandals for that one. <laughs> I love that um, one. I still get it. I do too. Um, <laughs> but social media, what are they posting? How, when are they accessing it? Are they accessing it via your network? That's a good one. Um, mm. What are they posting on there? Like, I'm not saying control your employees' social media by any means. I'm simply saying educate them on what they should or should not trust via social media. 
Another good facet is in-person fishing. So what I've discovered is people are really are actually pretty good at nowadays about recognizing email phishing, but not so good at in-person phishing. So what does that look like? Ooh, what does that look like? That's always a fun one. So it can be anything. And I mean anything. It could be a guy who comes in with a work belt, you know, like holding a ladder, just like, hey, you know, I'm I'm trying to get in next door, but their door is locked. Here's here's my contract that they've, you know, printed off of legal zoom. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and they present it to you. Like, can I just like pop in? I gotta check the, you know, I'm doing some work next door. I just gotta check the wiring in here. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea who this person is. Well, they do, but because they want to get into your network. And but because they want to get into system. your network, it can be <laughs> yeah, something exactly. like that. It can be me as a potential customer or just coming in with my friends and I have my laptop and they're buying their medical cannabis mm-hmm. and I'm just hanging out waiting for them and I'm just on my laptop and you've let me on your network because you have open Wi-Fi because you want to be the nice business that lets your customers mm-hmm. use their Wi-Fi. Letting me as someone in cybersecurity use your Wi-Fi is basically a giant open invitation mm-hmm. <laughs> what can i find oh oh it's super easy all i need yeah. is a program like one or two programs on my computer and i can find open ports on your router mm-hmm. i can find open gateways through your firewalls and this is just on my laptop this is just me on a macbook just sitting there looking you know hipster yeah. and you know <laughs> your latte. drinking my latte when in reality yeah. i'm siphoning off all of your data yeah because or make you know because you decided oh we're gonna leave the admin password on our router because no one's gonna guess that yeah yeah exactly (laughs) it's that simple it's it's really simple stuff and that people don't realize because those in person interactions people want to be helpful and they want to be nice especially if you're owning and running a business because you want them to come back yeah so. It can be that. Um, And there are physical security considerations as well. So that's going to be having security cameras. Because again, the commodity is the risk for cannabis. Well, if I want to break into your business, I could go one of two ways. I could break into it physically or I could Mm -hmm. break into it digitally. So things like security cameras are really easy to compromise, which means I could be watching your entire organization's operations all day, every day, figure out what schedule people are on, when they take their lunch breaks, when they do a, you know, employee turnover. When the bank comes and picks up the cash. When the bank comes and picks up the cash, you know, I can watch that simply from your security camera and I can do it remotely from, you know, my very comfortable apartment. And probably pretty, pretty securely routed through a couple of different countries so you can never catch you doing it. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Jenna, this has been a pleasure. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, about True Digital, what's the best way to yeah. get that information? Uh, so I am on LinkedIn. That's going to be the best way to find me. I'm not a big social media person, <laughs> as <laughs> you can imagine. Too many phishing attacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many phishing attacks. And, you know, honestly, I just, oh, I deal with technology every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn at Jenna Waters, as Jenna with two N's. Or you can go to www.truedigitalsecurity.com. That's the organization that I work for. And we do a whole slew of, you know, 
technology services, as well as cybersecurity consulting, penetration testing, and helping companies, including cannabis companies, develop their cybersecurity programs so that they can, you know, not just have a cybersecurity program, but they can, you know, have one that meets the needs of their organization while not breaking the bank. Exactly. Jenna, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Well, thank you, Bruce. I've really enjoyed being on. I hope to come back. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.